Greetings, friends and brethren. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Dawn Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. We have been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we have 16 chapters that we've got to cover. So I hope you don't get bored, because sometimes people like to hear, you know, like a brand new, fresh topic. Well, actually, every new chapter is a brand new, fresh topic. So I'm going to ask you to hang in there with me. And let's get through this book. It's particularly important. As I mentioned the first day I started 1 Corinthians, this is like reading, um, you know, the culture of today. This is where we are today in the Church of Jesus Christ in America. So I want you to hang in there. There's a lot to learn in this book. And just remember that uh, the Word of God, which we are studying, which we are reading, Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, every bit of scripture, is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for four things. It is profitable for doctrine, profitable for reproof, profitable for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, the person of God, may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work work. So we are spending time in this book so that we can understand doctrine, so that we can be reproved, we can be corrected, we can be instructed in righteousness, so that we can actually mature as the body of Christ. Today, we're going to start in chapter four, and I'm going to read through this in the um, New King James Version, so if you have your Bible, we're going to flip over to the Amplified Bible. And the reason I'm doing that is because some of this, uh, some of this text is a little hard to understand. We've got to put it in context. I think the Amplified helps give us a better understanding of what Paul's really saying, because it can get confusing. So let's just start with verse 1. Paul writes, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one another against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. 
For I think that God has displayed us, the, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I'm going to stop right there because there's a lot in these 12, 13 scriptures that we need to cover. When Paul says, um, let a man so consider us as servants and stewards of the mysteries of God, that word in the Greek is actually a word that means one who manages or supervises a large estate. And so the administrative responsibilities of such a trusted person is really not what Paul's emphasis is here. He's just saying it's on the accountability of the steward to his master. He must prove himself faithful or trustworthy. So um, in the broadest sense, it's required of all God's people and is one of the fruits of the spirit to be faithful, to be a wise manager. And that's what Paul is saying, let, let you, you can consider us, consider us as servants and stewards. We're stewarding these um, mysteries of God. And we are being faithful. We're being trustworthy. Um, and we're, we're, t- we're, we're accountable. What Paul's really saying is we're accountable to Christ. As stewards of these mysteries, we're accountable to Christ because Christ has entrusted Paul and Apollos with the ability to help um, uh, bring this group of people, this Corinthian church, to its the full measure of Christ, to help them grow in the things of the Lord. So... You know, the steward has a master, and that steward um, has, to find, has to prove himself faithful or trustworthy. Think about Joseph. Joseph was a steward over Potiphar's home and his um, household. So Potiphar was, uh, uh, Joseph was given that responsibility, and Joseph faithfully took care of Potiphar's house. And somebody that's a steward over thing is going to watch over the entire household. They're going to watch over, you know, managing everything, you know, finances, making sure everything is done to please the master. Everything is done in accordance with the master's um, uh, principles, what the master wants. So Paul is saying in that very uh, first and second verse, He says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And indeed, Paul was. 
And then he says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. And apparently there were, we can, we can make this inference that Paul was being um, judged by folks in the Corinthian church. And for whatever, um, you know, for whatever reason, they had some issues with him. They had issues with his claim to apostolic authority. And so he's making it clear here that he's not concerned about anything they have to say. As he says here, in other words, it's a small thing. It doesn't even, it doesn't even, he's not even going to take his time to even think about this, whatever these things are that the people were judging him on or his apostolic authority. He says, I don't even judge myself. He said, for I don't know anything against myself. You see, because these people were moving in pride and self-righteousness. And um, we have to understand here the thing about judging here. This is uh, important to understand the context. Um, Paul is, when he says, I don't judge even myself, that doesn't really contradict, it sounds like it, but it does not contradict his later statement in connection with observing the Lord's Supper, that a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Paul's not ruling out self-examination or evaluating one's own spiritual walk. But in the context of verse 4, he says, he who judges me is the Lord. Now, Paul doesn't... um, isn't so prideful that he thinks that he is, um, you know, blameless. He, he Understand this. Contrary to popular opinion, a clear conscience. You know, people say, I, I've got a clear conscience. I can put my head on the pillow. I can go to bed. I've got, that doesn't necessarily mean that the person is blameless. See, because there's always a possibility of unintentional self-deception. Not intentional, but unintentional self-deception or of one's conscience being an expression of the mores and the morals of this world. So Paul says, you know, a clear conscience doesn't make me innocent. Literally, by this I'm not justified. But um, we just have to under try to understand and that. That's where it gets a little confusing in this chapter four, because the word that is used being used means to declare not guilty or to acquit. And this was a favorite word in Paul's writings when he magnifies God's grace in justifying people, contrasting it with their own attempts to earn justification on the basis of their good good works. Because this term is a forensic legal term and it's appropriate in the context that portrays Jesus as the ultimate judge. Now, it's wise, always, to leave judgment in the hands of the judge, who's the judge par excellence, right? He is, after all, the righteous judge, who on that day will award the crown of righteousness to all who have longed for his appearing, 2 Timothy 4, 8. 
But I just want to help us to understand that, um, you know, having a clear conscience doesn't, uh, um, you know, we are fallible human beings. And um, so the Corinthians needed to stop judging because they were just doing it out of pride and um and the the way they were doing it was an indication they were guilty of the same thing um believers are not to judge are to judge nothing before the appointed time that is the end of the age when the saints that's us you and i who are believers when the saints will judge the world and the angels we'll get to that in chapter six see because we are called to judge. Now, Jesus said in, uh, we can just turn quickly to the Gospel of John 7.24, and this is what Jesus says. He says, 7.24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Well, what does that mean to judge with righteous judgment? It means that we judge according to a biblical standard. Now, when Jesus says, judge not for you will be judged. What is he talking about there? You know, people use that in, in our culture today when people are not living according to biblical standards. And it's really obvious. They say, you can't judge me because Jesus didn't judge me. Well, Jesus did judge. He judged harshly the Pharisees, did he not? How many times did he, said, did he say, woe to you, woe to you, Pharisees? Many times. He judged with righteous judgment. Okay, so when Jesus writes, judge not lest you be judged, what's he talking about? He's saying, you're looking at their outward appearance. You're making a critical statement about an individual because the motive in your heart is all twisted. You're looking at them and you're making a judgment about them. And if you continue to do that, you're going to have the same thing come against you. So that occurs when our motives are wrong, out of alignment with the word, and we're just being hypercritical about another individual. That's not judging with righteous judgment. As Jesus just told us in the Gospel of John, don't judge by, by the outward appearance, but judge according to righteous judgment. And righteous judgment is that we're judging according to God's principles. Okay, let me boil it down a little bit, a little bit more. When we write, when we judge according to righteous judgment, we are pointing out the sin. We're exposing sin. So if, uh, if, uh, if I'm judging a church that is preaching apostasy, preaching error. I'm judging with righteous judgment. I'm not trying to be critical, but hey, they're teaching false doctrine. 
And, you know, somebody needs to warn the people about it. I mean, well, I don't want to go into personal things that I do know about different churches, but when churches are teaching false doctrine, when churches refuse to preach anything about the blood of Jesus, sin, hell, they avoid those topics like the plague. Listen, we can judge that. We can judge that with righteous judgment because they are not preaching and teaching the truth of the gospel. They're teaching heresy. They're teaching doctrines of devils. So that's judging with righteous judgment because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you've heard it. You've either heard it in person or you've actually heard them preach, you know, via the internet and you've heard the heresies and they do not line up with the word of God. I'll just give you another example. You have a minister preaching behind the pulpit that says that it is absolutely okay to be a homosexual individual and be in the pulpit. In other words, it's okay that homosexuals can become ministers of the gospel, stand behind the pulpit, preach to a congregation, and that that's fine, that that's okay. I mean, we just had a big to-do in the Methodist church where they voted um, against that. So, you know, I can take you to Romans 1. I can take you to the book of Jude. I can prove to you that homosexuality is a sin. So you cannot have a homosexual behind the pulpit. And I can judge that. And you can judge that. It's not scriptural. Now, I'm not going to judge the individual, but I'm going to judge with righteous judgment that that is a heresy, that is a false doctrine, because we, we line up with the Bible. It's the standard. Amen? So um, that's, you know, Paul saying, you know, it really makes no difference to me if you try to judge me um, uh, however you want to judge me, even, even by human court. Because he says, you know, I'm, I'm uh, ultimately the one who's going to judge me is the Lord. And when he says, I don't even judge myself, what is he saying? I am living a life that is blameless. Was Paul without sin? Was he a perfect man? No. But in regard to, uh, you know, here, he's saying, Apollos and I, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. We're stewards of that. That is a great responsibility that God has put on us. And we're not taking pride in this. You know, we're not being puffed up over this. We are, as he goes on to say, he says here, uh, 
Verse 9, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last. He, he isn't saying, hey, we're, we're first, we're special, we're, you know, we're so uh, spiritual, da-da-da-da-da. He said, as men condemned to death, he said, we've been made a spectacle to the world. We're fools for Christ's sake. But he says to the Corinthians, oh, you're wise. He says, we're weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. And he says, in the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. You know, this almost breaks my heart to think that Paul established this church. They were wealthy, wealthy, wealthy beyond belief. And he says here, in this present hour, we hunger and thirst we are poorly clothed, we are beaten, and homeless. And, you know, we're not lazy guys. We're working with our hands. And when we get reviled, when we get uh, reviled just means scoffed at, uh, you know, people saying mean and cruel and terrible things to them. When they're reviled, what do they do? Paul said, we bless when we're being persecuted, what do we do? We endure. We're not fighting back. We're not trying to get vengeance. He said, when we're defamed, we entreat. Um, and, and that word, actually, that word entreat means when we're defamed, we're, we encourage. So every time you defame us, we just... We just turn around and encourage and exhort. And he says, we've been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I mean, it, it really couldn't get much worse for these guys. So they're not coming. They're not coming as prideful, boasting, arrogant men. Let's look at verse 6. He says, now these things, brethren... I have figured, figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. Um, you know, you're going to see that Paul, he, he gives them strong rebuke. He does. But he loves them. And he's really, really trying to help them see. Um, you know, again, they've got this contention going. Verse 7, who makes you different from the other? And what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And then here he gets a little... Um, you know, facetious with them. He says, you're already full. You're already rich. You've reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. So, you know, he, he's, he's, um, he really does come against this uh, issue of people having, you know, a problem with his apostolic authority. 
And he really tries to help them to understand, look, we were given, we were called to steward the mysteries of God. And that in itself is a, um, you know, quite a responsibility. Because you think about it. Um, I just wanted to look at something here. Uh, stewards of the mysteries. Paul, Paul really, um, I, I don't know how much more I can tell you that this man was humble yet strong. He was not arrogant. He was not boastful. But he's trying, I'm trying to think of a better way to say it. He's trying to let this church know, look, I'm trying to set things straight. Remember, he talked about the foundation. He said that he was a, um, let's see, back in chapter 3, he said, I'm a wise master builder. That's what he said of himself. I'm a wise master builder. In other words, I'm following the plans of the architect. Who's the architect? Jesus Christ. I'm following those plans, and I'm building a foundation here in this church as a wise master builder. So if people are thinking that he's haughty, he's this or that, or questioning his authority, you know, he's like, you can question it all you want. I, even if you, you know, even if it was a human court, then I'm not concerned. I'm, I, there's nothing. He said, I know of nothing against myself. Yet he's not, he, he tells them, I'm not justified by this. That's not what justifies me. That doesn't. That's not what makes me righteous. But he who judges me is the Lord. And ultimately, it's the same thing with us. Who is our judge? Jesus Christ. The Lord is our judge. Are we called to judge? Yes, you bet we are. But with righteous judgment, not with distorted motives in our heart. We are going to judge. The Bible, we'll see in chapter 6, we're going to judge the saints. We're going to judge angels. We're, we're able to judge, but with a righteous judgment. And so we, you know, because Jesus went on to say when he says judge not, he said, you know, why is it that when you see the speck in your brother's eye, you, you don't look at the plank in your own eye? In other words, you see a tiny little speck in your brother. But you have missed the log in your own eye. Yeah. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to be critical and pick out little things about our brothers and sisters. But we sure can judge with righteous judgment when there is sin, when there is heresy, when there are things that are not right and do not line up with the gospel. You bet we can judge. But we don't judge out of a harsh heart. We judge with a heart of love, period. Always judging out of love. Amen? Well, we didn't get to finish chapter 4, but we will next time. So I just want to say um, you can go to my website, www.pureheart.today, and listen to this podcast again. And I certainly encourage you uh, to, you know, if you if you didn't catch it or you need to hear it again, to listen to the podcast 
and help get the clarity of what Paul is trying to say in this chapter. Because it is important to understand about this judging thing. Because um, you're going to have people all the time say things to you. Anyway, I look forward to being with you uh, next time. Um, I encourage you to write me, support the ministry. Uh, you can write to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. I look forward to being with you again next week. Shalom, shalom.